back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with Alex Lott, the fantasy phenom. What's up, man? You ready to get into this week four preview? A lot of good matchups on the slate. Dude, it seems like there are so many teams with huge high-flying matchups this week. This is going to be a good good one. And Steph, I need some vengeance. I just got absolutely bodied by Patrick Mahomes on Monday Night Football. He dished out an L to me in our in our home league. So I'm back. You know, no need to sit and pout about it. I'm back. Looking forward to a big week. Hoping we get Julio Jones and Devontae Adams out there on Monday Night Football. I know that would be great for the both of us. But we'll have to keep checking in on those injury reports throughout the week. I'm just excited for, for week four, man. I know there's the uh, COVID situation going on right now with the Titans and the Steelers. So, you know, as of now, it looks like that's going to happen on Monday or Tuesday night. We don't know exactly how that's going to shake out, but it's encouraging to see that that game is likely going to happen here in week four. And it seems like the situation was contained before it really got out of control. So the league, I think, is doing a great job so far with COVID. And we'll be, you know, showing up in the comments, things like that, if you have questions on that situation throughout the weekend as we hear more. And before we jump into some of these topics here, we got some juicy ones today. Start sits, some breakdowns on Nick Foles and what he means for Chicago. A lot of different players, but if you guys like the show, please hit that subscribe button. That is huge for us. A like is always appreciated as well. And as always, hit us with your start sit questions, waiver questions, trade advice. Hit it all down in the comments below or hit us up on Twitter at Double Move Sports. But Alex, let's go ahead and start with that Nick Foles topic here, talking about his fantasy impact, uh, standalone. I don't know, he might be a streaming option. You know, best case scenario, he had a decent outing here coming in really early in the second quarter uh, against Atlanta in week three. But beyond Nick Foles, you know, we saw the Allen Robinson breakout, 28 fantasy points from him. What should we expect week in, week out for Allen Robinson and all the Chicago pass catchers? Well, first of all, I was actually surprised to see them make the pivot to Nick Foles with that timing. Like Mitch Trubisky had far worse starts to his games in week one and week two. And I know he wasn't great in this one. I mean, he was 13 of 22, 128 yards, a touchdown and a pick. But he also had like a 50-yard run. They were still in the game. I think they were down by... Um, six points at halftime. So it was really interesting to see them go ahead and make the pivot when they did. I was actually a bit surprised, but I think Chicago, Matt Nagy, that whole coaching staff is very pleased with the decision. They had the comeback win. And Steph, you asked the question. I think someone that's probably more pleased with the decision than anybody else is Allen Robinson and the rest of these Chicago pass catchers. And we saw it in this one. I know Trubisky was locking in on Robinson a bit early in this game, but we look at the stat line here, 10 catches, 123 yards on 13 targets and I think a lot of that has to do with the change at the quarterback position to Nick Foles someone who is a more accurate passer because one of the biggest problems for Allen Robinson through the first three weeks is it wasn't targets he was getting looked at but it was just catchable balls it was that catch percentage and in this game we finally saw him come through came through with the one touchdown almost had a second one he did have it but it got called back on that kind of 50-50 ball with the defender so great game here for Allen Robinson if you bought low before this game, Steph, I know it was your start of the week last week, so good hit there. If you bought low on him, congratulations. I think, you know, one, he's going to continue to be a wide receiver one, but this move is definitely an upgrade for his value. And if he's on your roster, he's someone you're locking in every single week. Yeah, and what the switch to Foles gives you, we talked about it in the offseason. We said Nick Foles being there 
really gives Allen Robinson more safety and security. That's why we were smashing on him in the third round after going running back, running back in our drafts because whether it's Trubisky having a breakout and taking over that starting job, that'd be great for Allen Robinson. If the wheels fall off and Nick Foles come in, comes in, who is more of a wide receiver friendly passer, he had seven deep ball attempts in this game. For reference, Trubisky has 13 on the year. <laughs> so in really three quarters, we saw a much more of a air it out type of offense with Nick Foles under center. And that's, that's the player that he is. Doesn't have that athleticism that Trubisky has who may take off when he's under pressure. Um, and Nick Foles, just something about him. He has the magic. So I, I think he's going to benefit all the pass catchers there. Makes Jimmy Graham an interesting streaming tight end Yeah, in this game. He had seven targets from Foles uh, on the day as a whole. He had... 10 total targets, caught six of them, had 60 yards, and then two touchdowns there. Shouldn't expect that type of touchdown volume weekly, but he's a streaming option. If you're in a desperate situation, if it was a guy that maybe you can grab him off your waiver wire and plug him in for one week, I think you would do a lot worse. The thing with Graham, if you're streaming the waiver wire for these super deep tight ends, really you're just looking for a guy with a chance to score a touchdown. And Jimmy Graham actually does have a little bit more volume than these other um, you know, tight ends that you could be throwing in there hoping for like a three catch 15 yard touchdown game, like a Kyle Rudolph almost like I'd much rather go Jimmy Graham because he's got just as good, if not better chance of scoring a touchdown. I think he's got three touchdowns here in the first three games. And then you said it, the volume is there as well. It's not going to be like this every single week, but he's on the field a decent amount. I mean, he's been on the field um, over 60% of snaps each week. So I think you can definitely expect him to be out there and you can do a lot worse if you're just putting a flyer out there at the tight end spot. Any interest in Anthony Miller and by extension from that Darnell Mooney, guys are kind of splitting that wide receiver two role on that depth chart. I think Miller could be an interesting streamer with Nick Foles willing to air it out a little bit more than Trubisky and just a higher quality of those, of those passes. It makes you consider Miller, but not really a guy I'm looking at when he isn't on the field quite as much as we want him to be. Yeah, I think, I mean, last week, Steph, we were saying Anthony Miller's a cut guy. And I'm honestly fine leaving him on the waiver wire. I mean, if he's on the end of your bench, sure. keep. He's just one of those wide receiver four options that you can throw in there. Like, I'd prefer Sammy Watkins. I'd probably prefer Alan Lazard. In PPR, I'd prefer Russell Gage to someone like Anthony Miller. I mean, he did have the touchdown in this game, but only five targets, only played... 57% of snaps, which was his highest snap percentage of the season. He's played 42%, 40%, and 57% of snaps. To me, in a low-volume pass offense, that's just not going to cut it. So Anthony Miller is someone who it's kind of boom or bust with a touchdown. I, as of now, he's not going to be one of these guys getting 8 to 10 targets a game. Maybe throughout the season they get in a shootout or two, and he ends up getting those looks in good matchups. But on a week-to-week basis, there's just so many other guys I'd rather play than Anthony Miller, so I'm fine cutting him for somebody else or leaving him on the waiver wire for now. Um, you know, even Justin Jefferson, someone who had a huge game last week, I'd prefer him and his upside over someone like Anthony Miller. Yeah, and it seems like we've been waiting for multiple years now for that Miller breakout. There's just some guys like Traquan Smith is another the one. I think there. Of. He's a good player. Exactly. There's just these, this profile of player who's like this boom upside, boom bust wide receiver that we're waiting for more booms than busts but still not seeing that yet. Let's talk about another boom-bust wide receiver who had a pretty disappointing outing in Week 3. Ooh, only 3.3 fantasy points. Sorry to everybody who uh, was listening to our last episode where I was like all in on Hollywood Brown. 
had six targets, has had six targets in every single game so far, but only caught two of them in this game. And really the the Ravens offense as a whole could not get anything going. I tweeted out, you know, hey, can we can we just turn the Ravens offense off and then back on again? Like, let's just reset this thing because they could not get anything going against the Chiefs at all whatsoever. I'm almost willing to just throw this game out the window, but it was kind of tough to see. Are you willing to plug Hollywood Brown back in? I'll flex him. I'm willing to flex him. It's just been a really tough start to the year for Marquise Brown. I mean, week one, he had a solid game. They absolutely blitzed the Cleveland Browns, you know, five receptions, 100 yards. Week two, a disappointing game against Houston, five receptions, 42 yards, and then just totally blanked in this one. He's had six targets in each game, and that was a concern for us going into the year, Steph. It's like, can Hollywood Brown, in this Ravens offense that loves to run the ball, can he see the target volume that we need for him to be a consistent wide receiver too. And so far, I mean, six targets a game. I know he has incredible big playability and all those can go to the house and an incredibly large, you know, yards per catch guy, but it's just been really disappointing to see. And it's a little bit concerning. So I think you roll him out there. You look at the schedule coming up at Washington this week and they got Cincinnati at Philly. Even's not bad. So these next three games, I think you, you keep rolling out Hollywood Brown. He's one of those boom bust guys. We would love to see the floor be a little bit higher, but it's just not there right now. I think this game against Kansas City was a bit of an anomaly. You know, Kansas City came out and punched Baltimore in the mouth, and it, the Ravens were just off in this one. So I don't expect the offense to struggle that much, much each week. But, Steph, one interesting thing about Hollywood Brown, I was kind of digging into the numbers here. Of these Ravens wide receivers, he is third in snaps this mm. year. Both Miles Boykin and Willie Sneed have played more snaps than Hollywood Brown. And I get it. Like, they're going to have Boykin and Sneed on the field if they're doing these read options and these running plays because they're better blockers. But in, in these RPOs or if Lamar Jackson's audibling at the line of scrimmage, it's just disappointing to see Marquise Brown not on the field as often as we'd like. He hasn't eclipsed 80% of snaps in even one game this year. He's actually been below 70% twice. So when he's out there, he's hyper-efficient. You know, he's always running routes when he's on the field. He's got that big playability, but it's just concerning. He's not going to give you the volume you need to be a consistent and stable wide receiver too right now. These next two games here, Washington and Cincinnati, are going to tell us a lot. I'm willing to flex him, like you said, in both situations, um, even as a wide receiver too, if I have a solid running back that I can flex. Uh, and it was to me like, dude, what was up with that tripping call? It seemed like after that tripping call on Monday night, <laughs> that, that just wild. like threw the Baltimore offense off completely and they could never rebound. And that was a non call pretty much laying on the ground, rolling over. It's tough, but Steph, I, I'm holding Hollywood Brown right now. Sell. I'm not selling him low. You know, I, I don't think I'm buying low because I'm not quite sold. He's going to bounce back. But if you've got him on your roster, you've got to hold hope for a big game here in the next two weeks. And from there, we'll see. Maybe we'll see enough to where he's someone you want to keep starting moving forward, or maybe a, uh, a sell-high window will open itself up so you can get out of the Hollywood Brown business and into someone else that's a little bit more consistent. Let me, let me ask you this. Recent trade that just went down in one of my leagues, uh, someone traded Marquise Brown for Odell Beckham. Of the two, are we taking Odell? I'm, I'm easily taking Odell. You know, it's, it's closer than it should be, but Odell is a more complete wide receiver and the targets are going to be similar. I know Odell's been a little bit low volume at this point in his career with Cleveland. That's a run heavy team, but I think the Browns are going to have better days ahead in terms of pass volume. Um, They dominated Washington. Who else did they play that? that Oh, Cincinnati and Washington the last two weeks, they've had pretty run heavy game script. So in games where they're going to need to throw the ball more, I think Odell is going to get more volume. Like this one against Dallas? Like this one against Dallas, exactly. So if I had to lock one in, give me Odell all day long. 
Let's talk about a matchup. You know, we're, we're talking about the Chiefs Ravens. Let's talk about the Chiefs next matchup here in week four against the Patriots, a game that I'm extremely excited to watch. Let's talk about the Patriots side of the ball first. Cam Newton had those 44 attempts and he almost threw for 400 yards in that game against Seattle. Kind of the last time we saw him in a shootout where he really needed to rely upon passing the ball. Are we expecting that here against Kansas City in what should be a pretty, you know, back and forth, high scoring game? This one has a 53 point over under. That's one of the highest on the week. Um, you know, pretty high scoring game from Vegas. I, I'm willing to start Cam Newton here. Um, I, I assume you are as well. Yeah, you're absolutely locking in Cam Newton here against Kansas City. It's interesting because in the two games that the Patriots have really controlled, week one against Miami and then against the Raiders this week, it felt like the Patriots were in control of the game. They were controlling the pace. And Cam Newton's had low-volume games in both of those. And then the one game where it was the shootout against Seattle, we saw Cam Newton absolutely open it up, and they were slinging the ball all over the field. Actually made it a really competitive game and almost won it at the end. So we know he's got the ability to do that. In this game against Kansas City, I expect the Chiefs to dictate the tempo. I think because of that, Cam Newton's going to be forced to throw the ball You know, more than the 28 times we saw here last week against Vegas for only 162 yards. So, yeah, I expect the Chiefs to get up. I expect Cam Newton to be throwing it all over the field. And if he's on my roster, I'm happy to, to plug him into the starting lineup, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. I know the Chiefs did just shut down Lamar Jackson, um, but, you know, that doesn't scare me too much. I think Bill Belichick's going to come out prepared for this game and have a pretty good game plan to, to be able to succeed and at least move the ball for a couple touchdowns in this one. So we know if, if Cam's going to be relying on his arm to move this offense and put up points, Edelman's an instant start there. Plug him in everywhere you can. Yep. Uh, Nikhil Harry, I think he, I'd be willing to flex him if I'm in a desperation situation. Really? Wow. Yeah, you know, and it's it's really going to come down to me, like the touchdown. The touchdown's in the volume. We've seen him be kind of this, this PPR guy. He doesn't look too explosive. I'm not putting him in my lineup for the yards after catchability, but tied for second on the year in red zone targets with six of those. So essentially two a game. Uh, you know, shots at a, at a touchdown there. Uh, and he's top 10 in contesting catch rate. Uh, so, look, he's he's going to be essentially what, you know, Kelvin Benjamin was when Cam Newton was with Carolina. Uh, hopefully we can see Nikhil Harry continue to develop only a second year in the league after disappointing rookie season. I'm willing to plug him in as a desperation flex, but not excited about it. Steph, something I want to call out. I mean, this is a deep name. I'm not starting him by any means, but – Damier Bird on the New England Patriots, week one played 88% of snaps, week two, 86%, and last week, 96% of snaps. So Damier Bird is on the field essentially all the time. He hasn't turned it into much. I mean, week one, it was a goose egg. Week two, he had a solid game, six for 72. And then last week, only three for 27. So I don't know what he's doing out there. Maybe he's just running in circles. He's definitely (laughs) blocking a lot for Cam and Sony and apparently Rex Burkhead. But keep an eye on Bird. I mean, if he's on the field and the Patriots are in these high-volume games, maybe we'll see a trend. And if you know they have a high-volume game coming up, we can expect him to get 8, 9, 10 targets. And who knows? He could end up as a deep shot of the week. I'm avoiding him here um, against Kansas City, but maybe stash him on your bench could be an interesting DFS name as well. Just wanted to throw that out there because those snap counts pop off the page for someone who's had one good game and essentially, other than that, has been quiet. But um, it's, it's just crazy that he's out there more than Edelman, more than Nikhil Harry. That's pretty interesting. It might just be a thing where, you know, he's the healthiest body that's out there, uh, and he can stretch the field <laughs> yeah, a little exactly. bit more than some of those other guys. Now let's talk about the running backs for the Patriots out of the ball. James Yikes. White, he's returned to practice as of, t- of Wednesday, 
Um, we are recording here on the 30th. This morning, he did report to practice. Rex Burkhead coming off a monstrous three-touchdown game. Hopefully, he didn't go too hard and blow your fab chasing those points from Sexy Rexy <laughs> off the waiver wire. Uh, Sony Michelle is also coming off a good game, over 100 yards on the ground. And then... Uh, Damian Harris is also back off of the IR as well. So essentially four running back options here. I'm probably staying away from all of them. If I have to choose one, it's probably James White just for that pass catching work. I feel like James White really should have been what Rex Burkhead was over the last two games. Yeah, I agree. looks like Harris actually, I know he's off the IR, but he has returned to practice as well. So with White, Harris, Burkhead, Michelle, this is going to be a four headed monster in the backfield. I know Burkhead had the game last week. We've seen, you know, Sonny Michelle even had a decent game last week. Harris will have his days, and you're right. I think White is the one that has the most secure role, the highest floor. So if anything, maybe White as a flex or a desperation RB2 plug-in if you've got someone that's hurt. But, yeah, I'm avoiding everybody else. No chance I'm starting any of these Patriots running backs except James White. But, Steph, I want to flip over to the Chiefs side of the ball. You know, from a fantasy perspective, not as much to really talk about here. You're starting... You're what I'll call the big four, one at each position for the Chiefs. Mahomes at quarterback, CEH at running back, Tyreek at receiver, and Kelsey at tight end. But beyond that, there's a couple names I want to throw out there. Sammy Watkins and Mecole Hardman are both a bit interesting. Mecole Hardman this week, we saw him go for four catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown on six targets against the Baltimore Ravens. Sammy Watkins had a pretty solid day as well. Seven catches, 62 yards on eight targets Steph any interest here in either Miko Hardman or Sammy Watkins there's interest but it's really a coin flip I mean you might as well just like really you know toss a coin to me there's no clear option of who's going to be the big benefactor here are you feeling one way or the other a strong opinion I think Sammy Watkins has sneaky wide receiver high-end wide receiver three value full season I mean you look at what he's done so far week one seven catches 82 yards and a touchdown on nine targets Week two, he went out early with that concussion. But when he did, he already had three targets. And then last week, seven catches, 62 yards on eight targets. With that, I mean, he played 87% of snaps last week. That was highest on the team. So Sammy Watkins has a very clear-cut role. He's seeing the targets. He's in the best offense in the NFL. I think Sammy Watkins' volume is pretty consistent as long as he stays healthy. I know he's got the past of disappearing. But from what I'm seeing right now, Sammy Watkins is a flex guy, and, you know, I'm definitely taking him as the second wide receiver option on this team. I think Mikael Hardman is a desperation play at best. I mean, he played 29 snaps last week and happened to have the big touchdown. Outside of that, I mean, he's he has just as good of a chance to goose egg you, so I'm avoiding Mikael Hardman because I don't want a zero. But Sammy Watkins, I think, has a pretty locked-in role, and from what I'm seeing – you can flex him and you should feel decent about it as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, I put Watkins in like the, you know, Golden Tate, Jamison Crowder, if he's yeah. out there, type of tier. Um, I Just not one I'm eyeing, but yeah, great points there. Great points there on Watkins. He's had a sneaky little, uh, you know, he, he's been operating as the safety valve, safety valve for Mahomes in this offense. Uh, Mahomes, you know, throwing a little bit less deep shots, uh, at least to start the season here in 2020. All right, Steph, I want to get into some running back flex questions for week four. You know, these are guys that aren't locked in starters. We're not talking, you know, your Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs type guys here. These are guys that are your RB2, RB3 um, that you need to know if you're going to plug them in or not. Some are coming off of solid games. Some are coming off of terrible games. I just want you to know whether you should be starting or sitting the guys on this list. 
First guy on here, Devin Singletary against the Vegas Raiders. Zach Moss is practicing. I think it was in a limited capacity when I yeah. saw it today, but Zach Moss could be back this week. What are you doing with Devin Singletary against Vegas? He had a pretty solid week last week without Zach Moss there. Yeah, the matchup's pretty nice. Vegas is giving up a lot on the ground to your running backs. I'm willing to put Singletary in as an RB2 if Moss is out. If not, he's nothing more than a flex. You lose some of the upside, and what we want to see from Singletary is like he's never going to be their goal line back. Uh, but it's the pass catching volume. He had five targets in that game against the Rams, what actually turned into a shootout in week three. Uh, caught four receptions, had 50 yards with those, which, I mean, that's a nine-point premium that you're adding on top of his rushing production, uh, where he looked relatively efficient. 17 attempts, 5.5 yards per attempt, putting up 71 yards on the ground. So that's a 16-point fantasy outing from Singletary when he was the lone guy in that backfield. Hopefully Moss, for for Singletary's sake, from a fantasy perspective, isn't out there. Uh, That's really the only time where I would be excited about either Singletary or Moss is if the other one missed. Uh, So just keep an eye on that. But as long as as Moss is out, uh, I'm in on Singletary. Yeah, I agree with you. Singletary, with or without Moss, is averaging five targets a game. And you're right, the touchdown upside is low because of Josh Allen. Um, But but look, if he gets, you know, 10 carries and five targets against a Vegas Raiders defense that is a little bit weak, you know, that's an RB2 performance or a flex. So I'm willing to start him as well. Let's go ahead and move down to the next name on this list. This one's easy for me. Mike Davis versus the Arizona Cardinals. To me, as long as Christian McCaffrey is out in PPR or even half PPR, Mike Davis is an auto start as my RB2 each and every week. Yeah, go check out the clip on our channel where we recap some of week three, talking about Mike Davis going in depth on what he's doing with this Panthers team, but eight targets and nine targets over the last two games. Christian McCaffrey wasn't even seeing that type of volume. So if you're in any type of PPR league, you got to plug Mike Davis in there in what should be a a high-flying matchup. We've seen the Carolina Panthers in this game script where they go down and have to play catch-up. They're throwing the ball a lot there, and part of that will go to Mike Davis. So definitely a start for me. Yeah, 76% of snaps last week. Had 13 carries on the ground, eight receptions through the air, so 20 total touches. I expect that to continue moving forward for a Panthers team that's going to be throwing the ball a lot. So, yeah, lock in Mike Davis. I'd prefer him over Devin Singletary, who we just talked about. Steph, this next name is really interesting because it's such a tough backfield. Daryl Henderson against the New York Giants. Back-to-back good games. McVay still doesn't want to show his cards. He says he's probably the starter But Daryl Henderson's clearly the lead back right now, and he's playing the best of anybody in L.A. I know Akers is out, but Malcolm Brown hasn't really shown us much in the past two games. How are we feeling about Daryl Henderson against the New York Giants this week? Pretty good matchup. Yeah, well, it just can't be ignored. What he's been doing, touchdowns the last two weeks, he is their goal line back. I thought that was going to be Malcolm Brown's role, but now it's shifting over to the Henderson, a guy that they're getting involved, 20 attempts. Against the Buffalo Bills, that's fantastic. 114 yards, 5.7 yards per attempt from Henderson. He looked very good and then saw three targets, caught one of them. So for a guy who's, you know, think of like a James Conner, that's kind of his upside where he's going to give you 100 yards and a touchdown. Essentially, you got James Conner off the waiver wire. Just know that if you're plugging him in there, part of his range of outcomes is that, you know, he could essentially be nothing in this game if it goes towards Malcolm Brown. Um, If that touchdown goes his way, then you're looking at, you know, a 10 to 12 point week from Daryl Henderson. But even in that situation, I think he is worth a safe flex. And one thing I want to talk about real quickly here is flexing running backs over wide receivers. And the reason you want to do that 
the touches and the volume is much more predictive. You don't know if a wide receiver is going to see 10 targets, five targets, and that's a big difference in what they're going to put up. Whereas with a running back, you know they're going to touch the ball 10 to 20 times if they're you know, one of these, you know, heavily used, seeing work in the passing game. So yeah, especially in keep, the passing game. Yeah, Keep that in mind. That's a great point. Yeah, starting a running back because of those touches can be more predictive. I will say in PPR leagues, sometimes if you have a wide receiver that has the same value as a running back, you know, I'm usually leaning towards the wide receiver just because five catches for 50 yards for a receiver is not that great of a game, but that's an 100 yard rushing game for a running back. So, you know, it, typically the catches are more valuable. So take that into consideration as well i mean you know it's it's tough more touchdown upside from running backs yeah. too especially a goal line type of back so I, yeah. i'd go henderson in a flex yep. spot or desperation rb2 i want to call one thing out i i'm not too confident i'm trying to actually fade henderson this week for a couple of reasons one cam Akers is questionable i think he's gonna miss this week but he could be back i haven't seen anything on it as of now here recording on the even in the giants matchup on the 30th here's why steph because i Malcolm Brown last week only saw seven carries to Daryl Henderson's 20, but they both played the same amount of snaps. So, you know, Henderson clearly got the hot hand and was getting the ball when he was in the game, but Malcolm Brown was on the field just as often. So I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if they were scripting running plays for Henderson when he was out there because he was being more efficient or if it just happened to be the game script and where Brown got the short end of the stick and was on the on the field during passing plays and was pass blocking and things like that. So even in this game for Henderson, 20 carries, only played 49% of snaps. And if you throw Cam Akers back into the mix, it's a little bit sketchier. Um, you know, if Cam Akers is out this week, I'm with you. I'm okay to flex Henderson, but just keep an eye on it. I wouldn't just be auto starting him over some of these other options. Um, so you really need to keep monitoring that situation. But I will say, if there's a back to own in L.A., no doubt Daryl Henderson. Yep, just know that's in his range of outcomes that he could kind of bust her out. But yep. for yep. now, I'm willing to chase those points. Feels a little bit stickier. But let's talk about David Johnson, who's in a matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. I think he's a start. Uh, with the schedule opening up, he probably is a buy low right now. Um, and we could see some big things. 13 attempts uh, in a tough matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Rushed at less than two yards per attempt. But he did have a touchdown that kind of saved you. Uh, I think we're going to see that yards per attempt number increase here against Minnesota. Yeah, you're starting David Johnson. He had a, a tough pull to start out the year. I mean, who made this schedule for the Houston Texans? They get the Chiefs, the <laughs> Ravens, and the Steelers. I think DeAndre Hopkins made that schedule. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but look, like he had a great game against the Chiefs. We saw that awesome run on the on the opening night. So fantastic game in week one. Then he gets two really tough run D uh, teams and the Ravens and the Steelers, terrible efficiency in both games, but he still got four targets against Baltimore, three targets against Pittsburgh next several weeks. I mean, he gets Minnesota this week, Jacksonville next week. So you're right. Buy low opportunity for David Johnson. You're plugging him in as your RB2. I have no hesitation at all. If he sees around 12 carries on the ground, can get four targets through the air, that could easily translate to, you know, 80 to 100 total yards, a couple catches and a touchdown. I'm rolling out David Johnson with confidence this week. Yeah, even if Duke Johnson comes back, you can still expect David yes, Johnson to absolutely. be able to move the ball on the ground. Minnesota giving up the fifth most yards so far this season. Let's talk about Jarek McKinnon up against the Philadelphia Eagles. A pretty tough matchup that we've seen so far. That front seven in Philly uh, is keeping the run contained. Are you willing to throw McKinnon in there after a pretty solid week with Mostert and Coleman both out? 
Yeah, important to note that he is banged up. I haven't seen updates today as to whether he's practicing or not. Um, but he was dealing with a bit of a rib issue. So keep an eye on that. Obviously, if he's inactive, you don't play him. If he is active, I'm happy to play him against Philly. We look at the workload last week. I mean, he didn't have an efficient day. The The 49ers as a whole had a terrible day on the ground, only 2.7 yards per carry as a team. But McKinnon had 14 carries on the ground, had four targets as well. That kind of workload is what you're looking for in your RB2 or your flex, especially someone like McKinnon that can get it done in the passing game. And PPR leagues is going to give you that higher baseline. So if Mostert is out, I mean, Tevin Coleman's on IR. So Mostert's the one we're really worrying about. If Mostert is out and McKinnon is in, I'm starting Jarek McKinnon. If Mostert is active or if McKinnon is inactive, obviously you're not going to play him. So that's what it comes down to for me. Um, but if the opportunity is going to be there with no Raheem Mostert, I'm happy to roll him out there. Yeah, just with the run scheme, like it really doesn't matter who they put behind that San Francisco O-line. They're going to be able to move the ball um, and they're going to be relied upon to score. So 16-point outing from Jarek McKinnon. I'm willing to plug him back in. Just to, don't expect, you know, a 25-point outing from him. I think his ceiling is capped with a little bit of a tougher matchup. But, you know, 12 to 18 points is not outside of the range of possibilities yeah. for McKinnon. I agree 100%. And Steph, this next guy is is tough because he seems like he's been scratching the surface of this breakout and he had a ton of hype before the season. Antonio Gibson, tough matchup here against the Baltimore Ravens. Last week had nine carries for 49 yards and a touchdown, a couple receptions as well. He hasn't quite broken out yet, but he's had back-to-back touchdowns. You know, the snaps are up, the carries are up. What do we expect out of Antonio Gibson? We haven't really seen him take total control of that workhorse role. I mean, only 26% of snaps in week one. Last two weeks, he was on the field 65% and 40% of the time. We'd still love to see that a little bit higher. What are we doing in a tough matchup for Gibson here in week four? He's a sit for me. He's a sit. And what we saw is is I agree. 26% of snaps week one, 64% in week two, and then 41% in week three. So it's not clear whether he is going to get all the usage that we want him to get as fantasy investors. He had the touchdown uh, the last two weeks, that really saved him. If he doesn't have those touchdowns, you're probably disappointed with Gibson so far. Uh, so don't overvalue that. Touchdowns are the least predictive stat category for in fantasy football. Uh, so don't rely on that week. Especially week when you play for Washington. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Add that in with a tough matchup. He's a sit for now. There's a non-zero chance that you know Gibson's putting less than five points up. You don't want that in any way in your lineup. So let's talk about the last one here. Same game, other side of the ball. Mark Ingram coming off a very disappointing outing. You know, we we said earlier when we talked about Hollywood Brown, are we just throwing this game out the window for the Ravens and plugging these guys right back in? What's your concern level on Ingram in this three-headed backfield with Gus Edwards getting much more volume than any fantasy player wants to see? Steph, I mean, I'm not taking a victory lap too early, but I've been out on Mark Ingram all year. I've said it from... After the draft, I said Mark Ingram wouldn't even be a top 30 running back. And here we are after week three, and he's RB45 in full PPR. So to me, he's nothing more than an RB3 or a flex play. I'm actually trying to sit him in this matchup. I know it's a good matchup against Washington. They should lead. They should be able to burn out this clock. But Mark Ingram last week played 32% of snaps. The week before, 42%. And the week before, 36% of snaps. And he's one fourth down touchdown run in week two away from having less than five fantasy points in every game this season. He doesn't add value in the passing game. If they get to the goal line, it's like a toss-up. Is it going to be Ingram? Is it going to be Edwards, Dobbins, Lamar Jackson? So unless he's getting a touchdown, he's a sit for me every single week. So you're just rolling the dice, and we just said it with Antonio Gibson. Touchdowns are the least predictive thing 
Uh, maybe for Washington, they're less likely <laughs> than they are for a team like the Baltimore Ravens, especially on the ground. But I'm trying to sit Mark Ingram. A lot of the names we've talked about, I'd start over Mark Ingram in PPR. Give me David Johnson. Give me Daryl Henderson, Mike Davis, um, Devin Singletary, even Jarek McKinnon, if he plays and Mostert is out. I'm taking all those guys over Mark Ingram right now. If there's one of the three Ravens guys that I have to start, it would be Mark Ingram, but not it's, feeling yeah, great about it. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Not feeling great. Look, and there's always the chance, like, Mark Ingram could come out and have 80 yards and a touchdown and a couple catches and have a 16, 18-point game. But right now, it's, you know, you're throwing darts blindfolded trying to pick which game that's going to be. Um, obviously, against Washington, it's a good matchup. So I'm not saying the the range of outcomes isn't there. I'm just not betting on it um, at any point unless I'm forced to start them and I can just pray for that TD. So let's talk about some wide receivers that are on the bubble. You may be looking at as your wide receiver too or your flex. We'll run through some of the names here. We already starting, you know, Julian Edelman against Kansas City. I think that's clear even after the down week in week three where he really wasn't heavily utilized. You got to plug him back in here against Kansas City where points are going to need to be scored. One of the highest over-unders on the week, only behind the Packers-Falcons on Monday Night Football. Are you with me there on Edelman? Yeah, Edelman's a must-start in PPR. I mean, he's going to be the number one target for Cam Newton. Um, disappointing game this last week, but look at his targets this year. Seven targets, 11 targets, and six targets against Kansas City. You said it. They're going to have to score points. Edelman's got to be out there as your wide receiver, too. So let's talk about Odell Beckham in one of the other highest over-under games. The Browns going down to Dallas, playing against the Cowboys. You firing up Odell in this one with confidence? You have to be – like, this is a – Big moment if you have Odell in any of your rosters because this is the best opportunity for him to see the volume that we want him to have. The Dallas Cowboys have been in shootout games all season long. Their defense is weak. And so this is a huge opportunity for the Browns offense. They might not win the game, but they're going to need to throw the ball to keep up with the Cowboys. And on the Odell Beckham side of things, I mean, they beat Washington and the Bengals in the last two games. And week one was like a throwout game against the Baltimore Ravens. So we haven't really seen the Browns open up the playbook to the passing game. I think Kareem Hunt's going to have a good game. I think if there's a week you can start Jarvis Landry in your flex, it's this week. And I'm no doubt throwing Odell Beckham out there. He should lead the team in targets, and he could get a touchdown as well. Could We could see Baker throwing it deep to Odell um, for a few big plays here against the Cowboys. I'm excited to see what Odell can do, and if he doesn't have a big game this week against Dallas, that's where I'm going to start to be really, really concerned. Um, but I don't expect that to happen. I think he'll have a fine game, and he should have a pretty safe high floor here in week four. He had four catches, four huge plays, four first downs against Washington. <laughs> this is a, the perfect matchup for him, like you said. So let's let's get into some deeper names here, guys that you, you didn't have a ton of draft capital invested in. Tyler Boyd against Jacksonville. Boyd's been a weekly start. He's putting up numbers. A guy that yeah. we've liked, 20 points on back-to-back -back weeks. Are you still plugging him against the Jags here in week four? Steph, you're starting Tyler Boyd until further notice. I mean, this guy, tough week one against the Chargers and Burrow's first game against the stingy defense. Um, but the last two games, Tyler Boyd's been going off. I mean, against Cleveland, seven catches for 72 yards and a touchdown. Last week against Philly, 13 targets in that game, 10 catches for 125 yards. To me, Tyler Boyd has shown enough this season um, to where you're starting him in your flex every single week until he shows you otherwise. I mean, he's playing a ton of snaps. He's played more snaps than any other Bengals receiver this season. So to me, Burrow's going to keep getting better and better, and Tyler Boyd's got to be out there. 
What's your take here on the Bengals and Tyler Boyd? I'm right there with you. The pass volume from Joe Burrow has been tremendous. It's great. And we saw like 13 targets go to A.J. Green in week two. And then we saw 13 targets go to Tyler Boyd in week three. You know, A.J. Green did have Darius Slay on him. I think that's part of why that target volume is so high for Boyd because he was able to get open against some softer corners there. Um, But against a, a pretty soft matchup in the Jags, I'm expecting good things from Boyd. Absolutely. Steph, next one's tough. It's my boy. We've been talking about him all season long. T.Y. Hilton, three straight dud games. He's going against the Chicago Bears this week. What's the deal with T.Y. Hilton? Do you feel confident rolling him out there? And are you willing to start him as your wide receiver two or your flex here in week four? I want to sit him if at all possible. And what should have been a fantastic matchup against the Jets? Only 8.2 fantasy points. Only saw three targets in that game because Jonathan Taylor and uh, you know, the Colts defense, really the the ones that were winning that one for yeah. the Colts. Um, I'm curious as our, our in-house Colts fan here, how are you feeling about T.Y.? I'm probably sitting him unless I absolutely have to. Oh, I'm absolutely sitting him. I'm playing guys like C.D. Lamb over him. I'd probably even play someone like Marvin Jones over T.Y. Hilton this week. I just need to see it before I roll him out there. And look, the matchup last week against the Jets, yes, it's a good matchup. The Jets' defense is weak. But the second that they threw that pick six on the first drive, great play by Xavier Rhodes, I was like, this is not going to be a T.Y. Hilton game because the Colts dominated the Jets from the opening kickoff. And when you're dominating a game and you have a great run-blocking O-line and Jonathan Taylor, how often do you really need to throw the ball? So I think that was the problem here for T.Y. Hilton. You said it, only the three targets. Rivers only threw the ball 21 times, though, in this one. They just didn't need to throw it. Uh, you know, the Chicago Bears are a 3-0 and team, could be a little bit more competitive here. So I'm out. I'm sitting T.Y. Hilton. But interestingly enough, Steph, I'm trying to buy him low in a couple places if it's my wide receiver four on my team. Like, I, I want to buy him low, keep him on my bench, see if he can have a couple breakout games and maybe work his way up to be my flex or gain more value for me to then trade back to somebody else. Because I think season long, T.Y. Hilton's going to be fine. It's just been a rough start here um, for him this Paris year. Paris Campbell out rest of the season. Michael Pittman dealing with some issues, may not Man, be in. And tough. you look at air yard share, T.Y. Hilton is still, despite what the box scores may say, he's still the wide receiver one here. He's top 10 in air yard share, um, but just hasn't really been able to put it together. Only three deep targets so far. I think that's going to change as well, but we are seeing a little bit of a decline from Hilton. We'll see if he can bounce back, but I'm going to try to sit him here in week four. Let's get into one of our favorite segments here, our starts of the week. We're going to go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. And our starts of the week are guys that we expect to outperform expectations, whether that's a stud who's in a tough matchup after a down week, whether that's a guy who may be a streaming option, like a quarterback or a tight end that we expect to have a good game. These are guys that you know, we see a high chance to outperform expectations here in week four. And Alex, I'll pass it over to you for your quarterback start of the week. All right, Steph, after a down week last week, when a lot of people rolled him out there on Thursday Night Football, I'm going with the stash. I'm going with Gardner Minshew against the Cincinnati Bengals. He struggled without DJ Chark last week against the Dolphins on Thursday Night Football. But I have confidence rolling him out again in this game. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals defense is not great. Um, They look good on paper against the quarterback. I think they're seventh um, against the quarterback in terms of fantasy points allowed per game. But it's been Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield, and Carson Wentz, (laughs) all guys who are struggling right now. So the, the Bengals are 24th in the NFL in yards allowed per game. 
And I think Gardner Minshew is going to pass the ball all over them. I think James Robinson will have a good game here as well. But look, on the other side of the ball, something we always look for in fantasy are teams with bad defenses because if their defense is giving up a ton of points, they're going to have to score a bunch of points. The Jacksonville defense is terrible. They got absolutely knocked around by Miami <laughs> last week, and they're giving up 28 points a game. Gardner Minshew's going to have to throw the ball a ton. We've seen it the last two games. Minshew has thrown the ball 40 or more times in the past two weeks. I think in this one it's going to be Joe Burrow and Gardner Minshew going at it back and forth um, with a ton of passing attempts. So I think it's a good one for Gardner. And if Chark can get back in the lineup, it'll help. He's questionable right now, but he practiced in a limited capacity today. It looks like he's trending towards playing this week. Um, so I think that contributed to some of the struggles last week without DJ Chark. But if you picked him up last week and rolled him out there on Thursday night against the Dolphins and you were disappointed, don't panic yet. Minshew Mania will be back, and he'll have a good one this week against Cincinnati. Well, you talked about the stash. Let me talk about the beard for a second because my start of the week Let's go. is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitz magic. A little bit of that here against the Seattle Seahawks. And bottom line is the matchup's good. He's going to need to air it out to keep up with this monstrous Seattle offense that is just moving right now, putting up points on everybody. And the Seahawks are 31st against the quarterback position. I do think that has been inflated a little bit because they've played the Falcons, the Patriots, and the Cowboys. But I do expect Fitzmagic to be able to put up points in this game. He had 24 and 25 fantasy points the last two weeks. Two passing touchdowns in both games with one rushing touchdown against Jacksonville. And something that's kind of sneaky about Fitzpatrick, you don't typically think of this, but he does have some low-key rushing upside. He's 11th amongst quarterbacks in rushing yards, averaging 23 rush yards per game. So it gives you a little bit, you know, two points, two fantasy points as a floor, just a little premium tacked it. on to his stat line. You love to see that. And then he's second amongst quarterbacks in red zone carries per game with six already on the year. So if it's not Jordan Howard cramming it up into his O-line, then it's fits magic with those QB sneaks and he's willing to put his body on the line to make plays. Uh, I'm all behind fits magic here in the Seahawks matchup. I love it, Steph. Now let's go ahead and move on to the running back position. My guys, Kareem hunt. We talked nice. about this Cowboys matchup for the Browns earlier. I think they're going to have to throw the ball a lot more than they have already this season. And look, hunt has been balling out this year. He's the RB 13 right now and full PPR. So he should be a locked and loaded starter. And if you have Kareem Hunt, you're probably feeling pretty confident because he's gotten the touchdown so far. But I think he can can uh, succeed here against Dallas, even if he doesn't get into the end zone. I mean, there's going to be plenty of points in this game. The Dallas offense is elite. Their defense is not. Um, and if you look at what Kareem Hunt's done so far this year, even when the Browns are up in games and they're just trying to run out the clock, it hasn't been all Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt's averaging 13 carries a game this season. Only three receptions a game um, for someone who is essentially the Browns' wide receiver three. <laughs> so in a competitive game here, I expect the Browns to need to put up points to throw the ball a little bit more than they have here in the past two. I think he's going to see four to five receptions in this one along with, you know, eight to ten, maybe up to 12 carries on the ground. And with that kind of receiving baseline, I think Kareem Hunt is going to have a really solid game here. If he gets into the end zone again, he's going to be a top ten running back on the week. I'm feeling great about Kareem Hunt. And again, this is the start of the week because I feel so, you know, secure and confident in him as my RB2. And I think you should be locking him in every single week moving forward until he shows you otherwise um, and start to have dud games. But he's extremely involved in this offense, and it truly is a 1A, 1B in Cleveland um, with both of those guys having a ton of Quick value. dynasty question. I'm asking for a friend. Would you start Keenan Allen <laughs> or Kareem Hunt in your flex 
here in week four. Keenan Allen up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm. Who'd you go with? Well, this isn't going to endorse my start of the week very well, but I'll still start Keenan Allen. Ride the hot streak, man. Keep riding the hot streak. 19 targets cannot be ignored. 19 targets. And, and Tampa ridiculous. Bay is giving up some yards to the air. So let me talk about my running back start of the week here. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it is James Robinson with the Jacksonville Jaguars up against the Cincinnati Bengals here in week four. Cincinnati is 28th against running backs, giving up 155 rushing yards per game. Brutal. And the, one of the reasons why I love Robinson this week and every week pretty much is regardless of game script, Robinson is a safe option. He's a full-time primary workhorse back in the NFL. And if the Jags go up in this game and they're leading, then Robinson's going to get the ground usage where he can break off chunk plays. He's had multiple runs over 15 yards this season. He's 10th in evaded tackles so far on the year. And he's seeing two red zone touches per game. Uh, and averaging a touchdown per game, two coming against Miami last week. So uh, if they're up, you know, med- benefits for James Robinson. If they're behind for whatever reason, then Robinson's going to get plenty of passing work. He's seeing four targets a game, and he's yeah. currently third amongst running backs in receiving yards. So I'm willing to plug in James Robinson again after that 30-point explosion. Keep enjoying that waiver value that you got on J-Rob. I love it. I mean, he's an RB2 for me right now, rest yeah. of season. So I certainly love the matchup this week. And Steph, it looks like we love the Jaguars <laughs> and the Dolphins this week because my wide receiver start of the week is Devontae Parker in that Seattle Seahawks matchup. You already laid it out for us. You know, if, if Fitzmagic has a huge game, it's probably going to come on the back of Devontae Parker here, especially if Fitzmagic does it through the air and <laughs> without those legs. But look, Devontae Parker had a disappointing start to the year. Um, He was banged up with that hamstring injury. He played the Pats and the Bills in the first two games, really tough matchups. But he's still putting up 12 PPR points a game, so he hasn't completely killed you. If you're disappointed in what you've seen from Devontae so far, I mean, he's going to go off in this game against the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks are giving up 430 (laughs) pass yards a game, last in the NFL. This is going to be a shootout. It has huge potential for an incredibly high scoring affair here. And so I think Devontae Parker is going to absolutely eat in this one. I think he could see, you know, 10 targets, get eight catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. That's the kind of stat line we could be looking at for Parker here in week four. It's disappointing, Steph, because in our home league, I just gave up Devontae Parker in a trade to pick up Adam Thielen. Um, you know, I do like Thielen more rest of season, but it was so hard to give up Devontae Parker this week, knowing that he's probably going to explode against the Seattle Seahawks. I love him. I'm willing to roll him out there. And another quick hot take, Preston Williams. I know he's been super disappointing. He could be an interesting flex option as well if you're desperate. Roll out these Miami Dolphins um, pass-catching options here in week four. Nice, nice. Like that start of the week there. And we'll talk a little bit more about that matchup. Looks like we love it everywhere for fantasy as we get into our tight end starts of the week. But my wide receiver start of the week is DJ Moore. He disappointed last week against a solid Chargers defense. He's currently the wide receiver 28. So you're probably a little bit disappointed with the value that you've put into DJ Moore, probably drafting him back in the second, maybe third round. Um, Plug him back in. Keep plugging him back in because he's against the Arizona Cardinals here in week four. And even though on paper, Arizona has been a solid matchup against wide receivers, the game script should be so juicy in this one. The Panthers aren't going to be able to stop Arizona from scoring on the offensive side of the ball. And by extension, they're going to need to pass. We've seen that volume through the air been extremely high for Teddy Bridgewater. And they're going to have to do this all year. They're going to need to put up points. 
DJ Moore saw 13 targets in week two. I think you could see that type of volume again here in a relatively soft matchup. And he's being relied upon in this offense every single week, even if the box score doesn't say so. And a lot of people look at Robbie Anderson as a guy who's broken out and really competing with DJ Moore as the one. I would strongly disagree and say he's still the clear two because DJ Moore is fifth in air yards. He's still third in the league with a huge 48% of total air yards from this offense. Uh, so he's being relied upon, even though Robbie is the one who's having the, the breakaways and the touchdowns. Uh, DJ Moore's seventh in the NFL in deep targets. So he's really getting more of like what we typically think of Robbie Anderson as his pure deep threat. Moore's operating in that same way with a quarterback that we think is more conservative and check down heavy. I think we're going to start to see a little bit more of that, you know, maybe with Mike Davis in there that does change the offense overall. But right now, DJ Moore's averaging 17 yards per reception. The red zone usage hasn't been there, but that's really never why we like DJ Moore. I think he's going to be a trustworthy option. Don't let the down week cause you to bench or trade DJ Moore in a matchup where he's going to be necessary if the Panthers want to compete. I love it. And quickly, before we get to the tight ends, this is why you look at more than just, you know, the Cardinals, what you said are first against wide receivers so far this year. Yeah, they're like top you five. You have to something. look. The reason you have to look beyond that is because it's been three games. One of the Cardinals games was against the 49ers, who pretty much have no wide receivers. <laughs> and then another one of the three games was against Washington, who has Terry McLaurin and a bunch of JV guys. No disrespect to Steven Sims. But you just look at, you know, two of the three games, and there's essentially no threats at the wide receiver position outside of Terry McLaurin in those two games. So that's why, I mean, they're giving up points. Um, and they've had pretty easy matchups so far. You know, Kenny Galladay had a decent game last week for Detroit against Arizona. But just had to throw that in there. Got to look beyond those matchup numbers, especially this early in the season. But let's really quickly hit on our tight ends. Mine, you're probably not wanting to start, but I'm telling you to roll them out there. It's Evan Ingram at the L.A. Rams this week. He's had a really rough start to the season, but the Giants have had a brutal schedule. They started the year with Pittsburgh, Chicago, and San Francisco. The whole Giants offense has really struggled. And then week two, we obviously see Saquon Barkley and Sterling Shepard go down with injury. It seems like they're still trying to pick up the pieces from that fallout. So here against the Rams in week four, their defense is still solid, but we saw them just give up three touchdowns to the Bills tight ends last week in a super high scoring game. This Rams D, they're middle of the pack, middle of the pack in yards allowed per game, middle of the pack in points allowed per game, and against the tight end position. So Evan Ingram, I think, can get it done. Um, with Shepard and Barkley out, as I mentioned, Ingram is still seeing the targets. He's getting seven targets a game right now in a That's slightly nice. better matchup for Daniel Jones in this offense. Someone who can take, you know, these tight ends, you want someone who can take a 50-yard touchdown to the house. Noah Fant, George Kittle. Evan Ingram is one of those guys, had like a 70-yarder last year. So I love him to, to see volume in this game. Pretty good chance to get into the end zone as well. If you've struggled with Evan Ingram so far this year, give him one more chance here in week four. Not bad, not bad. My tight end start of the week goes back to the Dolphins and the Jags matchup because my start we of the week game. is Mike Isicki against the Seahawks. So looks like we, you know, of course we're starting everybody on the Seahawks side of the ball that we possibly can. I think we're saying here, hey, go ahead and start the Dolphins. Don't be afraid of the Seattle matchup. We love Fitzmagic, and if Fitzmagic is going to have a good game, I think Isicki is going to give you what you're looking for in the tight end position. You talked about Devontae Parker as your wide receiver start of the week, and he's still been dealing with that hamstring issue, kind of you know banged up, not able to show the explosiveness and the speed to get downfield. They're kind of using him in different ways underneath 
ins, outs, as opposed to posts. But looks like Mike G here, Gasecki, is the main option downfield for Fitzmagic through three games. We know Fitzmagic loves to air it out. He leads the Dolphins, Gasecki does, in average depth of target. He leads all tight ends this season in air yards, percentage of team air yards, and average target distance. On top of that, he's third at the position in red zone targets. So when the Fins are in comeback mode against Seattle here, a defense that hasn't been able to really stop anybody, uh, Mike Kosicki's going to see some volume and he's going to see some downfield looks. Think of him like a Mark Andrews where, no, he's not going to you know be a yards after the catch monster, but he's going to be looked at early and often uh, up the seam, down the field. He's playing 69% of his snaps from the slot, which is just fantastic to see from my tight end for fantasy and uh, we love the matchup. Logisiki is a player, even though he's, again, not the most athletic guy in the world. He's going to be able to go up and make some plays on some people. I think he can see a touchdown in this one. Love it. It all ties together. Devontae, Gasecki, Fitzpatrick. It's all here. Love these starts of the week, Steph. I'm super hyped to see some of these guys, especially because some of these guys have been disappointing. I'd love to see some bounce backs. But really quickly, before we wrap up, let's throw out a couple of deep shots. I know we put some time into, into checking these out, so we'll at least throw some names out there before we sign off. We each have two deep shots. These are incredibly deep leagues, desperation plays, you know, three wide receiver, two flex leagues, or maybe you're dealing with a lot of injuries. We have a couple of incredibly deep names that are sitting on your waiver wire to throw out. Steph, I'm going to let you kick it off with your first deep shot of the week. Yeah, so my first one here, he was a guy that I saw some folks in the comments in our week three recap talking about, hey, why didn't you mention this guy? It's Cole Beasley. And now with John Brown hurt, injured Beasles. out of the lineup, I'm willing to throw Beasley in there. He's He's been the pinnacle of consistency. If you're any sort of PPR and you need a desperation play, I like the upside and the floor that Beasley is going to give you. I know Gabriel Davis, the rookie wide receiver, may step in and take over that John Brown role. But regardless for Josh Allen, who's absolutely cooking right now, um, Cole Beasley should have a good game. Last week, he saw uh, seven targets, caught six of them for 100 yards. So a 16-point outing from Beasley. I think we could see that again here in a pretty soft matchup with the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm willing to plug him in 60% of snaps week in, week out. He's just the safe, reliable PPR option for Josh like Allen. It. So that's my first one. Alex, who do you got? I like that one. Keep an eye out on John Brown. I know he's still questionable for this week. If he's out, I'm fine to throw Beasley in the flex as well if you're in a desperation situation. Mine is kind of similar to Beasley. It's, you know, there, there's been a lot of injuries on the depth chart. It's Greg Ward Jr. And not the best matchup. They're at the 49ers, but that 49ers defense is a bit depleted. D Ford, Solomon Thomas, Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman all out. Ward is the last man standing in Philly. He got a lot of really good run at the end of last season. You know, Jalen Rager, Dallas Goddard are now both out of the lineup. Alshon is likely still out this week. Deshaun Jackson is even questionable. I mean, this is going to be the Greg Ward Jr., Miles Sanders, and Zach Ertz show um, here in Philly. Ward is going to see snaps and targets, had 84% of snaps last week. That led to 11 targets. I expect more of the same moving forward. Um, Greg Ward Jr. had a really solid game, 20 PPR fantasy points last week as the number one option in a decent offense, even with Carson Wentz's struggles. So Greg Ward Jr., I just picked him up on waivers in our home league, staff, and I might be flexing him this week. We'll see. Apologies go out to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside if you're listening. My deep shot of the week – Last one here is Brandon Ayuk in this same matchup against Philadelphia. I'm willing to plug him in and chase those points that we saw in week three where he had 21 fantasy points. He led the Niners in targets with eight, uh, led in receptions, receiving yards. 
uh, and had a 19-yard rushing touchdown as well on the week. And that's something we like to see with Iuker or really any of these rookie wide receivers like LaVisca Chenault is can they be used outside of just a pure X wide receiver? Can they get looks in the slot? Can they be used as a gadget player? Um, you know, getting snaps out of the backfield, end arounds, jet sweeps, things like that. That's what we're seeing here with Ayuk. And we know the way that San Francisco wants to run their offense is, you know, get kind of a game manager type of quarterback, a guy who can just, you know, get you easy completions, read the defense, and, you know, get these short, quick passes to get guys out in space and make plays. Ayuk fits into that mold. That's why he was drafted in the first round. Uh, if you want to chase those points, I think you can do a lot worse. I like it, Stefan. My last guy here, I'm going to go with someone you have not heard of. It is Olamide Zacchaeus, rostered in 0.1% of leagues. <laughs> he is on the Atlanta Falcons, and here's the deal with this guy. He is an emergency option on Monday Night Football if you have Julio Jones or, quite frankly, even Devontae Adams because, you know, Lazard, MVS, Russell Gage, those are the other kind of emergency options but they're rostered in a lot of leagues, like our deep league stuff. I have Julio on Monday night. I can't pick up Russell Gage. I can't pick up Lazard or MVS. So I'm like, what the heck do I do? I mean, maybe Robert Tanyan is there. Actually, I think he's rostered in our 14-team league as well. <laughs> so I'm just like, I, wow. I want to take it up to the wire and see if Julio plays. You know, maybe I could pivot and just play it safe and go with a different option on Sunday. But if possible, I'd like to take it up to the wire. And if Julio ends up being out or you have Adams and he ends up being out, Olamide Zacchaeus could be could be a good option. I mean, last week, 79% of snaps with no Julio Jones. Russell, Russell Gage left the game early. He turned that into four catches for 41 yards on six targets. Um, so, look, you're probably avoiding this guy, but in an incredibly crazy 16-team, three-wide receiver deep <laughs> league, if you've got injuries, if you've got Julio Jones – Great emergency option. I'll caveat it with this. You only even consider playing this guy if both Julio Jones and Russell Gage are both out. But if you're there on Monday night and you, who knows, maybe you don't pick him up and you end up screwed on Monday Night Football, remember Olamide Zacchaeus and go grab him in that desperation situation. Now, I know the Tennessee-Pittsburgh game could potentially get flexed as well, and you could have some options there, but... While we, while we have you, I might as well throw out a deep name. And if he hits, you know you're going to have heard it here first. So <laughs> Olamide, Zacchaeus, I might forget that guy's name by next week. But just wanted to have a little fun there at the end. Can't wait for you to take a victory lap when he has 10 targets and catches nine of them with a <laughs> touchdown. If he has five points, I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And you shouldn't have said that either because, you know, you just talked about it. You have Julio and I have Adams in our home league. They're up against each other. Hopefully both guys are healthy and in uh, so we can both benefit from that. Who knew that by by week three, have we'd have Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, and Michael Thomas all injured and out of the lineup. But, guys, that's it for today's show. Hit us with the start sick questions. Uh, you want some streamers, whatever it is, trade advice, hit us up in the comment section down below. If you like what we're doing here on this channel, a subscribe and a like is always huge for us. Really appreciate that. Hit us up on Twitter as well at Double Move Sport. Thank you all so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.